Hello, everyone. This is Dan Clouser, President and General Manager of the Berkshire Baseball Club, and welcome again to our Stepping Up to the Plate podcast series. This is part three of our college recruiting series with Philadelphia Phillies scout Del Mintz. Thanks again for joining us, Del. Glad to be here. Um, we just briefly touched in our last podcast about um, you know players who get caught up in wanting to play Division One, um, you know, wanting to go south to play. Um, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think what I'd really kind of like to, to push home here in this podcast is, you know, the fact that, um, like you said, if, if you're on the field, you can see it. If you're not, you can't see them. That's correct. Um, so, you know, when you get into those different levels of college baseball, um, you know, Number one, if you can just kind of help people understand what the different levels are between Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and then obviously you know going to a junior college, and also uh, I think there's a lot of myths out there as far as what type of athletic scholarship money is available at those different levels. Um, I mean, I've heard people tell me that they've received athletic scholarships to Division Three schools. Right? Um, is that possible? It is not possible. Okay, so. Um, I'm a former Division three college coach. It is not possible. All right. So, so if you can just kind of touch on, you know, the different levels and, you know, how the recruiting process is a little different at each of those levels and, you know, the, the scholarship money, you know, what's guaranteed, what's not guaranteed, and all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, that, that's a lot to tackle right there. I'll do the best I can. Uh, Division one, Division two tend to be your scholarship programs. Although there are Division one conferences that don't offer athletic scholarships, for example, the Ivy League and the Patriot League. Well, there's two teams in the Patriot League that do give you a, a quasi scholarship, but there's little, there's this little four-year military commitment you're going to have to do at the end, and that's at the U.S. Naval Academy in West Point. They they generally have good baseball teams out of the Patriot League. Nevertheless. Um, as far as tackling the issue of scholarships at uh, these schools, it boils down to money. Uh, when I played college baseball at the University of Massachusetts, we had approximately eight scholarships. Now the University of Massachusetts State School has 2.5 scholarships. So they have a very difficult time not only recruiting, but getting people and good players to go there. So finances are a real big part of this. Number two, the Division three level, although you don't have scholarships per se, they, they, they give you grants, academic money, stuff of that nature, and that what's, that, that's what mitigates the cost at a lot of Division three schools. But again, a lot of that is based on academics. So if you're that's graduating high school with a 2.1, your chances of receiving those grants are? Slim to none. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess that that's one thing we want to stress is regardless of what level of baseball you're looking to to play at um you know your high school grades your high school courses are incredibly important very much so um you know because colleges are looking at basically your gpa Mm -hmm. and your sat scores or act standardized tests yeah um and and i guess you know another thing that a lot of people don't realize until it's too late is um 
you know, what a lot of colleges refer to as core course GPA, mm-hmm. um, you know, where a kid may be carrying a, a 3.5, um, but then when you take out, you know, health and phys ed and, you know, home ec, um, you know, he's carrying a, you know, a 2.5 in, you know, math and English and that sort of stuff. And it's kind of an eye-opening experience for some of those, um, you know, some of those parents and and kids at that point. So, you know, what exactly is a core course GPA? I mean, what, you know, what do these kids really need to concentrate on? They need to focus on the hard subjects that they don't like to tackle. For example, English, math, and science. Right. And history. Because um, really, at, at the end of the day, that's really what the schools are, are Pretty looking much. at. Um, you know, so to carry the 4.0 in phys ed um, isn't really doing you a whole lot of good. At Not going to help you. So, um, and then, uh, you know, the other thing I just want to uh, touch on a little bit uh, you talked a little about the uh, the number of scholarships that different Division One programs have available, um, and you know every once in a while you hear parents say, you know, hey, I'm I'm really hoping that Johnny gets you know a full ride to, you know, the University of Pittsburgh or Notre Dame or whatever. I mean, how many full rides are out there? You have to be a very special player in order to get a full ride. And if you're going to talk about the 20 to 80 major league grading scale. You better be at least a 55 to 60 in most of those categories, and that's a that's a rare player indeed. And even if you get a full ride, is that guaranteed for four years? No, uh, there are some coaches who will verbally honor four years. I've seen it happen. I've seen some really good coaches, good men, honor scholarships to players that got hurt for four years. I've seen good coaches and good men honor those commitments to players who never really were good enough to play there. They found out, again, they recruited a 5 o'clock player instead of a 7 o'clock player, and that coach owned it. But by and large, college coaches, college coaches can be pretty cutthroat. They want their scholarships if the kid can't play, and they can take it away just like that. And um, you know, I guess that's, that's what people need to, to understand. I mean, like I said, with you know, the University of Massachusetts with the number of scholarships that they have, um, 2.5, 2.5, yeah. Um, you know, so in dollars and cents at, at UMass right now, what is 2.5 equal in, well, in dollars right it, now? In terms of, you know, according to the NCAA rules where uh, uh, you can't just give a kid a 10% scholarship anymore, it has to be at least 33%. Uh, just do the math. Uh, 2.5 divided by 3, that's about as m- much money as you can give a player. Now, if you like a kid a little bit more, you can give him more, obviously, but that really cuts into the bottom line. So it's going to be pretty limited with schools like that. And their money's limited, obviously. Right. So, so, so as a college coach, you've got to make the most out of, out of what you're given in that budget. So, you know, e- even if a uh, coach at you know UMass is you know has a, a blue chipper that's on his radar um, the, the chances of him really being able to compete against you know a school that's got more money if he ends up allocating you know an 80 percent scholarship to this one kid that means those other you know 25 30 kids in his roster he's dividing you know very little money <laughs> between them 
Yeah, and, and it's safe to say that a school like that, and there are many schools in that in that financial boat. Um, the the majority of players are recruited players, highly recruited players, but they're receiving no athletic money. Okay. Um, other thing I want to touch on is, uh, you know, the definition of, you know, official and unofficial college visits. Um, you know. How, how are they defined? Well, certainly you want to go to uh, the NCAA website to get the rules and regulations concerning official visits. But essentially, you can go to any college you want to go to unofficially. You can go to a baseball game. You can go to a baseball practice and observe to see what type of coach you may or may, may not be playing for. You can talk to people in the admissions office. But in terms of an official visit, that's choreographed through the athletic department and the baseball program in and of itself. And you're limited with regard to how many of those visits you can take. I'm not sure what the NCAA says about it now, but there's not that many. I think it's like three maybe. Right. Not sure, though. But you can get all that information on the NCAA website. And an official visit, visit is also defined as the fact that the school is generally paying to, to have you come in at that point, correct? And and considering that schools don't have deals. any money, there's not a lot of official visits going on either. Right, right. Um, so, you know, if you just show up on a college campus to watch a game um, and you're a junior in high school, um, you can uh, you can go up and talk to that coach after the game. Yes. Not an NCAA violation. No, it's not. However, the coach cannot call you that's if correct you're in, if you're in your junior year when, when is that breakdown when a coach can actually reach out and contact you uh the the july before your senior year in high school begins is when meaningful contact can be made okay um the other uh kind of myth that that's out there these days is uh you know as far as early signing and um you know verbal commitments and stuff like that i mean uh you know what exactly is a verbal commitment? When can it happen, and what does it mean? A verbal commitment is a uh, a wink, wink, nod, nod agreement between the two parties in, in in question, the college and the player. Basically, what it means is if if a player if player X uh, commits to let's say Binghamton University, which is in the America's East Conference. That information's out there, and generally speaking, the other schools in the America's East Con conference will not attempt to recruit that player so they honor that but that doesn't stop the university of buffalo from giving them a call as well so uh, it basically gives you some peace of mind but certainly there's no guarantees if you get hurt the commitment's gone the verbal everything's up everything's out the window so so realistically you can verbally commit at any point through your high school career certainly um what is the obligation to the school in a verbal commitment essentially none so so if you're if you're a right-handed pitcher who's throwing you know 88 miles an hour and you make a verbal commitment to university x um and two months later uh that coach comes across a kid who's right-handed pitcher throwing 93 um and he decides he wants to you know, bring him on board as opposed to the first guy who made a verbal commitment. Um, he's really got no obligation to player number one. Technically not, but generally speaking in a situation like that, the college in question 
generally has a pretty good idea that the first player you mentioned is someone that he's targeting and he and he likes. So generally they'll they'll stick with that that commitment per se. But there's other factors that can get involved. Injury can certainly uh, mitigate the agreement. Correct, and and obviously, you know, like you said. You know, there are some pretty unscrupulous coaches out there, but for the most part, you know, a coach or a university that's got good morals and stuff, I mean, they're going to honor that verbal commitment. But there are definitely some out there who there's really nothing holding them on their end to, that's correct. to stick with you at that point. Yeah. So, okay, well, uh, again, we're out of time in this session. And uh, tune in next time as we will wrap up our uh, our college recruiting uh, talk here with Del Mintz, the Philadelphia Phillies, and you know what we're going to talking about over this course of podcasts. I mean, we're really, really only scratching the surface, but um, definitely a lot of valuable information. So be sure to tune in next week. Thanks, and have a great week. <laughs>